0: Uh, Years ago, I studied under an individual by the name of Dan Allender, and and it was was such a privilege. He's a brilliant mind. And he gave me a phrase one time we were having a discussion. He said, Mark, uh, in the absence of hope, addictions take root. In the absence of hope, addictions take root. Uh, That phrase I have thought about probably hundreds of times. When I was in South Africa one time, um, we would go through these various villages, and uh, in every village we went to, there would be this tub of corn alcohol that they were brewing, and these guys would sit around it, and they would just be drunk virtually all day, I think every day. Every time we came through there, they're around that. the reason is because of the country we were visiting in, the average lifespan is 40 years of age. Didn't matter how you lived. You're going to die, and you're going to die early. And they knew it. And so when you take that kind of hope away from a person, it leads to always, inevitably, very destructive behavior. Think about your own life. How much you do because you have a future. You save, hopefully, because you have a future. You think about retirement. You run or you exercise or if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you know what? You're pre-diabetic. You need to change your ways. You change them. Why? Because you have a life to live and you don't want to lose your feet and you don't want to lose your eyes and all of the things that can come with diabetes. And so you alter your life. Why? Because you have a future. And if you strip that future away, if, if the average person in here died by 40, we would live very differently, we, very destructively. When I was on the same trip, we went into a number of orphanages, AIDS orphanages. And, and the fact is, is when you kind of just listen to their life, it's much sadly like those that we see every day here in our city on the street. If you spend any time with those individuals, and I have, None of them talk about their future. They talk about that day. They talk about maybe that week. They talk about where they're going to get food. They talk about how they're going to hunker down for the night. But they don't talk about, you know, when I retire, or I have a bucket list, I'd like to go travel to. They don't think that way. Because in the absence of hope, addictions take root. I realize that can happen even to Christians. Christians are not void of this. Sometimes Christians can get in this thing. If you watch a lot of CNN or Fox News, you're going to just get depressed you will you watch that stuff and, and every day and you're just gonna think good night the world's coming to an end there's not a leader that is worth trusting they're all corrupt they're all embezzling they're all taking money from a variety of countries and pretty soon you just kind of get to the point where it's like god i'm sick i'm gonna go have a beer or you know you just get drunk or you, you do something because why in the absence of hope When my future is threatened, when there's not a security, when I don't trust those, I get destructive. We all do. In Romans 1, Paul's talking about that. And when he writes and he says to them, he says, hey, you know, when you exchange the immortal vision of God, the divine nature of God, and you take on other images in this world, the scripture says, God gives you over to that. And where does it end? Look at the the end of that. want to see why there's such destructive behavior in our culture is because god says he gives them over to their appetites and to the destructive nature of their behavior in the absence of hope addictions take root and when they take root they can own you So what I want to do over these next weeks, and we're going to do it over the summer. We'll take a few breaks for Envision and a couple of other weeks. But we're going to look at how do we discover hope. And the place I turn to, very purposeful, is the book of Psalms. And I turn there because most of these individuals are writing in a context where they are never going to get justice from their kings. They're never going to get justice from their leaders. They're never going to get justice from their context because they live in corrupt places and the only hope they have to the person is in their relationship with God and that's why I wanted to go there because we're going to discover hope not because maybe our circumstances get better or because our country gets more godly we're going to discover hope because our God gets bigger because we discover something about trust that we didn't know So we start ourselves in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is, and next week we're in Psalm 2. We're not going to sequence that way, so that's it. And we'll go to other Psalms, 42 and 88 and 89 and others. But uh, we're just going to look at Psalm 1 and 2 next week, Psalm 2. Psalm 1 kind of has a breakdown that looks very similar to the entirety of the Psalms. And it invites us to consider what does God want for us? There was a study that was done a number of years ago. This person went across the United States and asked people, if you could have anything in the world, what would you get? You know, you can imagine, you know, "I, I want a lot of money, or I want a really healthy family, or I want a 357 Magnum, or whatever the case may be. In all of this study, hands down, number one, everything else was a complete distant second. What do people want? Happiness. They want to be happy. Now you, I know you're going to react to that and say, oh, it's not, it's not a biblical happiness. Maybe not. Maybe their happiness is we want a lack of hassles. We want a life with no problems. We want plenty of money. We don't want headaches. But you can't miss I don't think we should miss that the very thing that people in our culture long for is the very thing that God wants for you. He does. God wants you to be happy. He says it right here in Psalm 1. Blessed is the person. The term blessed means happy. Let me break it down in some of its more kind of uh, deeper sense. What does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be biblically in this term as this is used throughout the Old Testament? It means to be a person who finds a sense of satisfaction. You like living. You're happy with what you got. It's a sense of joy. There's a delight in your spirit. There's a sense of completion. I'm getting things done. There's a sense of fulfillment. What the psalmist is promising us here is what? That when you're blessed, when you're happy, and this is God's longing for you, he instructs you how to get it. God wouldn't teach you how to get something if he doesn't want you to have it. He's not saying happy is the person who's a liar. No, happy is the person who does these things. What does he want for you? It's a life of fulfillment, a life of satisfaction, a life that makes a difference. Take away all of those and you have hopelessness. If you're a person who lives your life and you don't make a difference, nobody wants you, nobody needs you. If you're a person who can actually wake up in the morning and think, you know what, if I were to be dead, no one would miss me. You're in trouble. I'll pray with you afterwards. And that's not a a flippant offer. Because if no one depends upon you, if you don't make any difference, you are extremely susceptible to addiction. Because in the absence of hope, addiction takes root. Because addiction relieves the tension and the pain of not making a difference. But God wants you happy. And so he invites you to the pursuit of happiness. That's what this psalm is about. Blessed, happy is the person who does what? There's two things. The first one has to do with what you allow to influence you. And the scripture says, blessed is the person who negatively does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, does not stand in the way of sinners. Or third, does not sit in the seat of mockers. Now, the tendency, I think, for a lot of Christians is to look at that and say, Whoa, wicked. I know what wicked is. I went to the Holocaust Museum. Hitler's wicked. I went to ground zero. Those terrorists are wicked. Anyone that can get on a plane and think that they're fulfilling God's will by flying a plane into a tower, knowing and purposely longing to kill people, they're wicked. So you think, hey, no problem. I don't hang around terrorists. I don't hang around malevolent individuals who are trying to destroy a a, a race. I'm clean. I'm good, happy. Uh, Don't be so quick. Sinners. Mockers. Who are these individuals? Are they just terrorists? No. No wicked Mockers are individuals who don't believe in God. They're godless. Not that they don't ever think God exists. It's that they never take God into account in their life. The writer says it this way. Do not allow godless people to influence you or your life will lead to what? Not happiness, but despair. Now, here's what you have to question. Who are the people that I allow into my life to shape the way I think? Some of you have a financial planner and you go and meet with this person annually, maybe even twice a year. Have you ever asked the question, does this person love Christ? Does this person honor the values that I have? Does this person interested in the kingdom of God? Because if not, can I ask you to consider Getting somebody else. Why? Because the writer says happy is the person who allows. God-filled people, God-conscious people to influence you. And if you go to a person who is helping you plan your finances and determining where they're going to go and determining what you're going to do, you're allowing a person, if that person is godless, I'm not saying they don't go to church. I'm saying they live without the influence of God in their life. They're a person who doesn't take into consideration God in the decisions that they make. And if that's the step you're taking, then you're headed towards not a happy life, but a frustrated life. See, wickedness is not just terrorists. Wickedness is not just Craig Price. Craig Price, if you look up his life history, by the age of 21, he'd already spent six years in prison. Why? Because by the age of 14, he'd already murdered four people. It's easy to look at a guy like Craig Price and say, you know what, don't, don't want my kid hanging around him. But there are people sometimes that you hang around and they say, you know what, you got to climb to the top. And if you climb to the top in your company and you need to proceed, then you're going to have to sacrifice. And if you sacrifice, sometimes, you know, you're going to have to make some, some big choices. And maybe your wife isn't willing to sacrifice the way you are and you might have to be willing to sacrifice this marriage. And there are some of you who are listening to people who have destroyed one and two marriages just to get to the top. Just so that they can reach the magic number of how much money they make. Be careful, don't allow godless people to influence you. Because happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of wicked people, stand in the way of sinners. Some of you, you go to lawyers and they're good lawyers. And you go to them because, well, you're in your 70s or 80s and your spouse passed away and you're dating. You're really not sure what to do. And the fact is, is if you get married, your future wife is going to lose her medical benefits that come from her first husband. Or maybe even her retirement benefits And so you go to a lawyer and said, hey, you know what, tell you what, we'd like to get married, but if we get married, we're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars. And so the lawyer says, oh, I wouldn't get married, not before the state. No, no, no. Marriage is before God. It's not a state issue. So how about if you just have your pastor come over to the backyard, do a little ceremony, don't submit it to the state, and that way you get to be married and keep all of your benefits. Blessed is the person who does not sit in the council of expedient greed who tries to put themselves together and twist things in their own mind because maybe they sat with a lawyer who's competent and brilliant but godless. He doesn't take into consideration the counsel of God. He doesn't honor the word of God. He simply falls into the trap of trying to what? What? massage your greed you want to be happy don't stop pursuing it when you're 75 don't stop pursuing it when you're 85 now is not the time when you're 85 to start cutting corners and hedging your bets the pursuit of happiness goes all the way to the end Secondly, he tells us not only to not allow godless people to influence us, but he says positively, I want you to, to delight in God's word. He says in verse 2, he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You might look at that law as like, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, it's the, the term law, which means Torah. He said, Blessed is the man who who." Meditates on the wisdom of God. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's what they would have available to them. Happy is the person who thinks about and meditates on the law. It's not reading simply. You have to read it, yes. It's not even really, I would say, it's beyond memorizing. It is reflecting and mulling over and Focusing on it because whatever we focus on, that's what we become. Now, there's a challenge. Experts tell me that in the moment that you're sitting here, every seven seconds your mind goes somewhere else. So, some of you in these uh, 20 minutes that we've been together, you've gone on 75 different trips you have planned meals you have considered some of you have situations going on in your family that you're thinking about some of you have a a, a new girlfriend and you're like man this preacher is so long because I get to go on a date when we're done and that's all you're thinking about and every seven seconds your mind leaves me and goes to her Some of you went on a date last night, and you're like, wow, that was glorious. And you can't get your head back into this sermon to save your life. Every seven seconds, your head goes somewhere else. So to focus on this is going to take some effort. To meditate on it, to discipline your mind is going to take some effort. But it's worth it. Why? Because that which you focus on, that which you meditate on, you become... A number of years ago, Carrie and I had a friend, still have the same friend. And um, we noticed that every time we were together, it seemed that way. She was always talking about her mother. And she'd always say something like this. I hope to God when I get older, I'm not like my mother. Then we'd be together. My mother drives me nuts. Please tell me I'm not like my mother. Tell me I'm not like my mother. And finally, I had to tell her one time. I said, you know... Uh, this friend um you got a problem your problem is you don't want to be like your mother but that's all you obsess about that's all you focus on is her every time we're together you tell us how much you don't like her how much you don't respect her she's crazy she's this she's that i said you have a problem Because the very person you don't want to be like is the very person you obsess over. And you think about her all the time. I want to recommend you find somebody else to mirror. Somebody else to model your life after. Of course, I would say Christ, but sometimes it's helpful as a woman or as a guy to have somebody that's got flesh on that you can look at and say, I want to be like them. I I like their traits. And I told her, I said, if you don't find somebody, you're going to spend the rest of your life obsessing over the person you don't want to be like, and I guarantee you, you're going to turn out just like her. It's a principle. That's why the psalmist said, if you want a happy life... Be careful that you put up a boundary on certain individuals that you don't want to influence you. Do you love them? Yes. Do you serve them? Yes. Do you go out for dinner with them? Yes. You just don't let them guide your life. You don't give them a place of steering and directing the value system of your life. But what you do is you take the word of God and you meditate on it and you ponder it and you think about it and you chew on it. Why? Because you will become the very thing you focus on. And when you do, and when you walk that path of wisdom, you will eat the fruit of happiness. That's his promise. This person who does not walk in the counsel of wicked, but delights in God's word. He's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields his fruit in the season and whose life does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. What a promise. Really? Whatever he does prospers. Yeah. But don't miss the metaphor. It's like a tree. Trees don't grow fast. Plant a noble fir and it's going to grow about a quarter of an inch a year. Yes, there's going to be some trees that will grow much faster. But the fact is no tree grows up overnight. You're not going to get mature. You're not going to be strong overnight. This is a long-term journey where you're learning to apply and to appreciate and massage into your soul the word of God. But the fact is, is trees don't grow up overnight, nor will you. But when that tree matures, and that's the promise of God, here's the promise, your life will forever be bearing fruit by which others benefit, and your leaf will never weather, meaning you're never going to be out of season, you're never going to die, you're never going to cease to bear what? Benefit for other people. A good friend of mine by the name of Scott was telling me about a friend of his. It's an older lady who he estimated probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who have gone to her for counsel, including him. He went to her one time and he asked her, said, what makes you so wise? So many people lean on you for counsel. And she said, over my life, Scott, I've studied two things and I've studied them with all of my heart. people. And God's word. She says, I study people. I know people. And I know God's word. And I try and put those two together. And when you do that. When you bring that kind of life together. The benefit of it. Is that you prosper. You're going to yield fruit. Other people are going to benefit from you. Other people are going to look to you because you're going to be a person that no matter what season it is, you will be of benefit to them. I was thinking of that. God, what does it really mean to prosper? We naturally think of finances. But to be honest with you, finances are low on the totem pole compared to real prospering. I let my mind wander and I thought of a couple of families that I know Mom and dad, they're in their 60s and early 70s. They've had some challenges over the years. Life wasn't just a cakewalk. They, they've had moments where they struggled. But they raised their kids in a, in a home that honored Christ and their kids to this day. All of them love God. In their education of others, they have they've touched thousands of people. When they go to church, their grandkids, that go to church with them, run up, hug them, sit with them. Sometimes they even prefer to sit with grandma and grandpa rather than mom and dad. Sometimes I see them and think, that's prospering that's prospering like you can't money can't buy that i was sitting at my kitchen table the other day kids were all gone and i had the grandkids and i got to feed them anything i wanted <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how unhealthy you can get when the parents are away <laughs> But I sat around that table and I just listened to them, and we all chatted and we had this amazing conversation. We laughed. We ate. We laughed more. And I thought to myself, there's no amount of money that you could give me that would be better than what I just experienced. Not a dime not a million dollars, not 10 million. When you walk the path of wisdom, you will eat the fruit of happiness. And he says, whatever he does prospers. My friends, if God gives you that promise, Your life is going to bear fruit. Your leaf is never going to wither. And what you put your hand to is going to prosper. How many of us are infused with more hope than you can ever imagine? And when you have that hope, what happens? You take sometimes even greater risks. You tend to be a leader. You live in a more healthy way. You see, in the absence of hope, addictions take root. But on the path of wisdom, God promises that your life will have a significant impact and everything you touch will prosper. That's hope. That's more hope than you can ever imagine.